everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Within and Without podcast. My name is Rio Oshas. I'm co-founder of Raok, Race, Ancestor, Health, Outdoors, Knowledge, which is a family-owned social business. And I'm Everett O'Clean, an adventure cycling enthusiast and one of the co-founders of the WTF Bike Explorers, which has recently been renamed, but we'll get back to that later. For the first episode of this six-part series, we'll be talking about some of the stories behind WTFVX and Rahok. You'll hear from past WTFVX summit attendees and speakers as they share some of their past experiences with the summit and how they relate to our present moment. And Rio, we met actually during the second summit back in Oregon in 2019. And at the time you were working with people from Ability Justice and were joining us as the keynote speaker for the summit. Yeah, it was such a great pleasure to have my first keynote be outdoors amid cycling enthusiasts. That made so much sense to me that we were creating a space of dialogue and critical thinking as we pedal through some light trails and enjoy the scenery from our tent. However, I'll be honest that I was invited to facilitate a workshop in 2018 for WTFBX. And while my interest was perked, I ultimately didn't come because of a lack of accessibility, compensation, and truth be told, the slight anxiety that sometimes comes with sharing my values to a group of predominantly white community members. That is um, something that we actually heard a lot from some of the summit attendees that we spoke with, you know, from the first summit and from the second summit. You know, sometimes these remote locations are not only hard to get to, but can sometimes feel really unsafe in getting to and from the location. And then, like you mentioned, even upon arrival, if it is a group of predominantly white folks there, um, it doesn't necessarily create a super welcoming environment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you you just were able to kind of lay out some of my concerns in 2018. And I am really, and I'm here, you know, doing collaboration with WTFBX um, because I saw a lot of growth potential, right? Um, and, and I saw that there was an authentic uh, desire to to go through those uncomfortable conversations, to go through those uncomfortable moments. And that's why I wanted to bring Raok along into the collaborative process, right? Um, I really wanted to use the expertise that I have built as a consultant in racial and equity justice and, and bring it to the table to the VTFBX because truth be told, I still think it's really amazing, right? To get people of wide, gender spectrum out on the outdoors, right? Um, that, that's just so important to me. So with all that being said, I do hope that this series has some quote unquote off the chain talks that really helps create the friction and discomfort necessary to really challenge our entire communal growth. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, having you kind of be a part of this, you know, podcast process, I mean, it's taken a lot of twists and turns over the last year and a half with the pandemic and everything else that's been going on. Having these conversations with you kind of while we're thinking about the arc of this series was incredibly beneficial to, you know, creating some of the space for dialogue around some of those often uncomfortable aspects of the outdoors that people encounter every day. And so throughout this series, we'll be talking about race, gender, relationships to the land, all kind of in their own individual episodes, but at the same time recognizing that all of these things intersect, which brings me back to um, the business that you run with Ale Ramon Reyes, Rahok. Yeah, that, this is like 
honestly one of the most perfect collaborations I can think of for the work that I'm doing you know particularly what has unfolded within the podcast right because again as a reminder uh, Rao means race ancestors health outdoors and knowledge right and I really believe that the work that WTFBX has been doing hits on all those pieces and particularly as we're as that transformation is happening right that growth the WTFBX is happening. And, and you can see that through the podcast that an incredible wealth of resource and knowledge that is not only going to be used to potentially help WTFBX move forward in a, in a really positive, growthful way, but also other community members that get to listen, right? And so Raok, I think for me, the the big thing that it means is actually love in Mayenke Ekchi. And it's, and it's an action word, to love, right? And so the process of transformation for me, at least, definitely has to come from a place of loving you know and and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be nice and sweet and kind no actually love really asks asks us to really step up to our best right and so a lot of the work that i'm still doing right now across the nation is i, I consult a lot a variety of government agencies on race and equity um but i'm also doing real estate believe it or not and 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 i started to get into real estate because i i really saw it interlinked with the possibility of land stewardship which we hear from our our interviewees actually throughout the the interviews throughout the podcast you'll hear that and i really believe that it's important for us even though i don't necessarily uh, agree with the privatization of land um, i do know that having access to land and, and figuring out ways to access land in that way so we can steward it take care of the land and then ask our local native folks like hey what's the respectful way to do it how can we use that as a community resource right um, and so that's one of the big pieces that i'm doing right now with Raok. Um, and not only that because it's a family-owned business for ale ramon reyes and myself it also means it's really personal, right? And so we really see that these are very much interlinked with our own family's wealth and health building. Um, and so we're also raising two beautiful teens. We're caring for our parents. We're listening to our elders. We're learning ceremonial ways of healing. And we're really extending our teachings to our community and beyond. And being able to share those conversations with the community and beyond is kind of why we decided to do this series to begin with. Like you said, love is an action word it's something that you do and these conversations aren't easy to have but they come from a place of love which isn't always cheery and easy to do um, and can be really difficult but we thought that sharing these conversations is a great way to get more of the community involved and folks who might not have access to you know, local bike collectives or otherwise be able to engage with these conversations um, to have this series available for folks who wanted to hear from a wide variety of people within our circles, at least. Uh, many people know WTFBX by our old name, WTF Bike Explorers. And like many of our listeners, we've been doing some reflecting this past year and making some changes to meet the moment. And the organization has been around since 2017. And over the last year, we've shifted leadership to better reflect our community of riders. So myself and several others have stepped back to make space for new leadership. And at the tail end of 2020, uh, the organization announced a new cohort of leadership, bringing on Renee Hutchins, Christina Grande, and Zahara Alabanza, all of whom you'll hear from later on in this series. In addition to the new leadership, we're also making some other changes as well, including the name. 
Uh, we recognize the harm embedded in so much of the language used to describe our outdoor activities, including the colonial history behind the word explore. So with the help of the new leadership and with the help of the community putting in input, we've landed on a new name, which is the Radical Adventure Writers. And so you can look forward to seeing more information about that and all of the rebranding for WTFX to Radical Adventure Writers uh, throughout 2021. And we're hoping that that is a name that better reflects what we want to see in the cycling and outdoor communities moving forward. So for the rest of this episode, you'll hear from some of the attendees from past summits as they reflect on their experiences with cycling, the summit, and what they look forward to in 2021 and beyond. Okay, so my name is Olivia Williams. Um, pronouns are she, her, or they, them. I am from, I would say North Georgia. I'm not from Atlanta, Georgia, even though I am currently based in Atlanta, Georgia. And yeah, just, you know, Black American from Georgia, enjoying the outdoors because that's my favorite place to be. <laughs> so basically um, the entire way that I discovered bikepacking and like gravel was online. I started, kind of uh going down like a gravel riding blog like I don't know like wormhole and I came across a lot of gravel I would say bros for lack of a better word and I was like well okay this just really seems like more of the same to me like in in many ways and then I came across an ad for WTF Bike Explorers and I had seen Sarah Swallow before like on these blogs and I was like, oh, I'm just going to email her because I'm like a, I'm like a cold call emailer. Like I will email anybody and just be like, what's up? So I emailed her <laughs> and I was like, I really think this is cool. So then um, she let me know that they were having a scholarship program because at the time I was in school. So I definitely could not, the, the first, um, the first summit was in Whitefish, Montana to get there from where I was living at the time um, would have been like super expensive. So she let me know about the scholarship and then I applied and then that was how I got it the first time. And then when I went to the summit, okay, I, I just wanna like emphasize one thing, which is that like, I did not know what WTF meant. I thought it was just like, what the, you know, it, <laughs> I like, I didn't know it was like women trans femme. I did not know what WTF meant until I like read the brochure and everything. Um, and I gen like I did not know what radical politics were. Like I thought it just literally meant like cool politics. Like I grew up learning black history. I know who Angela Davis is. I know who, you know, I know my I know my black history. But in terms of like in terms of people like Angela Davis being part of a political movement, I was not honestly, as a word at the time. All that to say, I applied and I won and I went there and I met a lot of very cool people who honestly taught me more like kind of after the summit. I mean, I learned a lot at the summit as well, but the summit was mostly about riding for me because I was like, there's cool bikes here and stuff and I want to try all the bikes. And then we did some cool stuff. Like we went to a lake and stuff. It was very chill. Um, but honestly, the biggest part of or the biggest outcome of um, the summit for me was like meeting people there. Cause I met some really, really cool people who like, I'm 
still in contact with now and who have taught me a lot. And that was my experience at the first summit. And then the second summit was kind of like, in my mind, a reunion. I was like, oh, I'm going to see all my friends that I've been talking to uh, on Instagram for like the past year. But then I learned even more at that one because that, that was, I feel like, much more BIPOC centered. Um, and when y'all did the healing circle, like I had never experienced anything like that before. So that was very cool, you know? So like the biggest experiences for me have been maybe not at the actual summit themselves, but the community experience afterwards and like learning from experienced members of WTF BIPOC cycling that's been like, I don't know, like rewarding in my life. Like, I really feel like it has taught me so much and it's really changed my life for the better. And now I just have fun with like the WTF words people. I'm just like, hey, what's up? You know, like, let's chat or whatever. Um, just cause it's like such a fun group. My name is Gracie Anderson, she, her pronouns, and I'm based on Ohlone territory in Oakland, California. Yeah, I forget how I learned about the summit. I know it came at a time where I was looking for similar people and experiences to what I was having, like both as a black cyclist and also just like as someone who didn't cycle to conquer things. Um, I was just like, ooh, where are they at? I like really like bicycles, but the people that I was meeting in the cycling community just didn't reflect me and the experience that I wanted to have on a bike. Driving to Oregon by myself as a black person is just like something I don't want to ever do again. It was really intense to get there. Like I knew where I was going. I knew once I got there, everything would be great. But like getting there itself, like I remember just having a lot of anxiety on the drive up. There were a lot of folks who came from Oakland, like some people I knew and some people I didn't um, from Cycles of Change and other just like organizations that I've intersected with. And I didn't expect to meet so many black cyclists like um, Devin Cowens, who lives in Atlanta and I just like hit it off so immediately, like the shared interests of like bicycles and wine and blackness. I met Jesse, who was just recently like got to be on a panel with. And then I met uh, Olivia. Yeah, I think for me, like meeting other black people specifically and thinking it was just like something I didn't expect. Like I've been in POC spaces and often there aren't black folks in those spaces for various different reasons and like anti-blackness and other like systems of repression that push us out. So that was like a beautiful surprise. Um, and then I think something else that I will always remember is the bike ride up from the farm. And that was just a, such a cool way to arrive to the campground um, and where the summit was happening. One of the most vivid experiences or memories that I have of the summit is just like how hard people were laughing and cheering and giggling. And I loved that. I think um, more opportunities for affinity spaces, like under the WTF umbrella, like spaces for Black folks, spaces for Indigenous folks, spaces for like non-binary cyclists, like just like a deeper intention on that. Of course, like we come to these experiences like under this larger umbrella, but like our intersecting identities, like it's just so nice to have a space where we can even further see ourselves reflected and have those more nuanced conversations. That space was so dominated by white women, straight white women. 
that it made it hard for me to feel like truly included. Like, I think that's why, I mean, of course, I always gravitate towards people who look like me, but I gravitated in a more like survival way towards those people. Yeah, I, I really hope in the future that location is really considered in a way that feels mindful of different people coming to remote locations. Like, I love Wyoming. And I know, but I know how to navigate Wyoming, you know, and I don't want to like necessarily like take away from people's experiences and abilities to like, like we should be able to be in these spaces and we should be able to occupy these spaces and take up space. And how do we do that either more safely or move it? Like, do we provide shuttles for people like who don't feel safe from a certain location? Because it's something I struggle with. It's like, yeah, I like really want to be in these like remote, really beautiful places. And also like, I want to feel safe. So what kind of like guide rails can we put up if we do go into like more remote locations or where else can we have it? Uh, my name is Alex Villalba, they them pronouns. I am based in Mexico City currently and identify, hmm, that's still kind of like in the air right now, very much in a transition for my identity in terms of gender. So when you hear people talk about the FTW community, what do you think of when you hear people say that? Like who shows up and how? My opinions and feelings around that have really changed, um, especially the past, like I didn't leave my old job on good terms. Since that experience, it's very much like, I've heard that before. And this is what happened when I like gave too much of my energy into this community. And so now I'm at the point where if it's not trans-centered, I'm not going. Like I ain't trying to hang out with like a bunch of cis people. I just, I'm not there right now. You know, maybe it's just because like I'm in this like transitional phase of like gender and life and everything. Is it a bunch of trans people or is it a bunch of cis people who just like slap trans on the end when they say they're having a gathering? Because in my experience, that's what it's been. And it's like, mm, that's great. Like cool cis women, like y'all, you know, not all of y'all are super transphobic. But my experience here in Mexico has been horrendous with cis women. The F and the T in there, like, where is that in terms of, like, you're organizing, who's organizing these events? Is it, like, a bunch of W's and then, like, one T? You know, so I'm just, like, I want to see the action and the evidence and the proof, and I want to see it for extended periods of time prior for me to be, like, willing to dip my toes in. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that was, at least for me, one of the earliest challenges in, in organizing the summit was actually coming up with a name. A lot of the options that were thrown around were very like women-centric and women's empowerment kind of focused in the beginning. Just like personally, I, I hadn't come out yet. It actually took being at the summit with like other folks around to be like, oh, this, it, there's like mostly cis women here and I don't feel yeah. comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that was that was a big thing. And so like, we chose a name that was what it was at the time. That name is actually changing. But I think that there was a lot of like learning that happened during that time that is like still ongoing. But I think that that's mm. been an experience I've heard from a lot of folks is like, oh yeah, you just kind of slap the other bit of the acronym on the end and like 
hope folks show up, but like, how are, yeah. are you, like you said, like expressing that in leadership, in the organizing, in the outreach, and also like making sure that those spaces are as safe as possible for folks when they show up. So what brought you to the summit in 2018, the first year of the summit in Montana? Honestly, the only reason I went is because I got a scholarship. If I didn't get that, there's no way. There's no way. Like it offset, like the scholarship was fantastic and it offset a lot of the cost, but it was still like expensive to go there. But it was also very rural. And like when I was hitchhiking, I was like, I don't have a knife because I flew here. Luckily, it was this fantastic woman picked me up. But it was definitely like, it took some energy and like some strategic planning to arrive in the middle of nowhere, Montana. I didn't really have many expectations. I was just like, oh my God, yay, people who like to buy, cool, sounds great. Um, but I was not expecting it to be so incredibly white. It's like, oh, it's like, I mean, especially like coming from Mexico, it's like, damn, like I haven't seen white people in a second. So for me, it was like, like slap in the face, like, here you go, you know? I mean, it was like, I didn't experience any like instances from people who attended. You know, everyone was very nice. But where I really felt it was when we started talking about land. There's this other fantastic person, I want to say her name, but like who was also indigenous there. But it was just like these moments of like, whoa, from people of color, but also like from white people who just don't have the understanding or the knowledge or being careful enough when talking about land. And there was a point where I was like, okay, like I sat through a portion of the workshops that were specifically talking about like land stewardship. I know there aren't that many Native people here. So like, I want to go and like, be sure that this is under control, right? Which like, is exhausting. And then I ended up just leaving. Like, part, I was like, I can't handle this. I'm sweating, I'm stressed. Like, there, it was complicated because there are other POC, like, saying this stuff. And then like, I was like, okay, you know what? I did my little 20 minute part. I'm gonna leave now because I don't want to deal with this like stress in my body. Cause for me, it's very much, it sits in my body when I get stressed. And so I just like went for a walk and like, let it go how I could, you know, that was very difficult because none of these lands are public. They're stolen lands. Like there's a very big difference. I mean, that seemed to be, especially after the second summit was a massive change because Rio did a fantastic job. Excellent. Like the keynote was great. They're great information was great it was just like wow such a big the contrast you know but something else that i was thinking about earlier today just like i don't like the word diversity but just like the different types of people who showed up yeah what do you think was like kind of the biggest shift um between the summit in 2018 and 2019 for me what i felt the most was that it was more accessible and for me, that's really important, like accessible in terms of like location, but also in terms of like people having the funds to apply. And they're a lot more scholar from what I understand. There are more, there's more money allocated to scholarships. And when I showed up and I saw like hella like trans people and like, you know, brown folk, black folk, like it was just like, it felt so, for me, it felt so much better. And there was the, uh, the group no the session ugh, the session that was all 
BIPOC and it was fantastic. And I was like, wow. I was like crying. I felt so emotional. It was just like so many more elements for me that felt really important in land. Acknowledgement was constantly being reminded and said over and over again, as everyone should be doing all the time. But it felt good that we didn't have to like educate anybody. It was the standard. That was the the bare men and the standard versus before is like, no, let me teach you this. Let me teach you this, you know? So it felt better in that sense, for sure. Felt a lot better. Yeah. And you also led a session. Do you want to talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that and how it went? Yeah, it was a session that focused on, it was talking about power. And the point that I really wanted to like express and get across to those who attended was that we all come from so many different places, you know, and the exercise that I did was really about trying to understand power in a more complex way. You know, how we have power over people, how we have power within ourselves, how we can um, use power to build coalitions and like all these different ways that we have power and how that can, you know, sometimes manifest And it was just like really like trying to talk on all these like really intense ways and bring it into an accessible, simple exercise, which was, was extremely hard for me to do. And I was like, I think I, we ended the session early because I was like, Ooh, I can't handle this. I was just like super emotional to like talk about housing insecurity, talk about food insecurity, talk about sex work. There's no conversations of sex work in the cycling community. Well, I mean, there are, I'm not going to say there isn't, there are, but they're just so tiny and like lack so much awareness, you know? So I was just trying to like really talk about these things and put them on the table so people can literally see those of us who are or have been sex workers. Like we exist here too, you know, people who own property, you know, what does that mean in terms of like where you live and how you move in the world and how we can use the power that we have or don't have to build coalitions and heal ourselves as individuals and as a community, you know, cause we talk about healing a lot, you know, but we have to start from like acknowledging what we have amongst us first. We can't just talk about healing and forget all this other stuff, you know, and to see people bear witness to all these things is very powerful and super vulnerable, you know? My name is Devin Cowens. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm currently based in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, so I had heard about the 2018 summit after it happened, and that was in tandem with um, me starting um, a local bikepacking chapter in Atlanta for women trans women non-binary riders. And so I wanted to go to the summit as a way to check in with folks who we're also creating these communities um, and to sort of be in a space that did not have um, cis white men. And I remember actually when the tickets went on sale, I was in Mexico City. And so um, I said, like, oh, I'll get online and quickly, you know, try and sign up for this. And I think I remember hearing that for 2018, like it didn't sell out or it took a while. And then it sold out within a couple of hours in 2019, which is um, yeah, I was really just looking to um, learn around some best practices for creating communities and kind of um, have a sounding board for what I was doing here locally in Atlanta and to also um, ride with folks who were non-cis white men. 
I um, was desiring a space that was predominantly black and brown and what exists. And while the summit I think was majority white, I think that in creating these communities, what happens is that there's often um, folks who can, um, who have access and can participate are often the first ones there, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think that in my head, I was like, oh, it'll be great. You know, the summit was also in Oregon. So I think location plays a factor there. Um, I thought there would be more folks of color there. And there was a contingency of folks who had connected with in this way that I think if the numbers were different, I wouldn't have been able to connect with them in that way. And so that I think is a, you know, became a gift, but initially was not something that I had seen as a gift. I think it's important in community to sort of um, vocalize who a community is for and like the process and bringing folks to that community um, and looking back on it. The lower numbers of BIPOC folks actually um, worked in my favor. So I don't know if that's sort of like not a knock or like a, you know, diss to the to the event, but I definitely think that um, that can be representative of um, the reach and the work that still needs to be done around bringing folks into that space who um, or are non-white. Um, and sometimes I think that social media and the internet is not always like, is not the only way and often is like, should be done as a compliment of reaching out to folks. Your outreach is limited to like who you know, right? In, in a lot of ways. And so figuring out how to sort of adjust for that. A lot of relationship building and strategy and, and authenticity. So one of the things I appreciated about the summit was um, creation of sort of courageous space. There were some sessions that were BIPOC only and it allowed for um, vulnerability and sharing. And I think that sometimes um, I'm not always um, a sharer and I think that that experience at the summit allowed for me to um, gain some footing around my voice um, and, and that I really appreciated that. That's a nod to uh, both like um, I think that space, but then like organizers sort of putting those facilitators with the skill to kind of allow that to happen. Um, and one feedback point I think I would offer up is um, shifting sort of the sign up process to appeal to folks who are not in the traditional like nine to five on a computer sort of um, figuring out a way to um, make it, um, make that outreach a little more targeted. And perhaps it's, you know, there's 200 spots, 100 of those will be for folks who can just sign on at this time. The other 100 will be like a different process. And I don't know what that looks like, but some way to say like someone who maybe is like a night worker or a mechanic even, just folks who maybe have those non-traditional work um, schedules who can still access something that's time sensitive, um, like a registration. The process is not equitable and it's just like obnoxious, you know, and like there needs to be something else. Um, so when I think about inclusive spaces and events in the cycling world, 
you're creating an event or in a space and you want to bring people there who don't look like you, you need to have people who don't look like you at the decision-making table. That should be the starting point. Um, and I think it would be great to develop, you know, a set of like questions that one can ask themselves prior to doing that sort of thing. Like, where is this happening? What am I trying to do? What's the name of this event? As we saw with um, that gravel race in Kansas, one thing that is missing in a lot of these spaces is like humility. A lot of folks just are like, not very modest and they're like, I wanna do this thing and individualistic and probably entitled and a number of other things. And so I would love to see a sort of a space for events put on by folks who are humble and, you know, kind and gracious. If they are uplifting a community, kind of figuring out the why behind that. Yeah, my name's Kai and I use they, them pronouns. And I think um, as far as like organized riding, I haven't done a lot, but I did race cyclocross for a little while. And that was definitely a space where I didn't feel very comfortable. And like I would race in the men's category, but feel like that's not where I wanted to be. And just didn't feel very safe there, I guess, in the way that I wanted to. And then at the first summit, like went on the, I went on the group ride before the summit and I had never ridden with that many people who sort of identified in a similar way to me. And like that just felt really safe in a way that I hadn't experienced. So I think just like riding with people who understand how I identify more or who sort of have similar experiences. I just heard about it through a couple of friends who also live nearby here and was really, really excited about it and never heard of something like that happening before. And so I went to the one in Montana and then um, was very excited to go to the next one. I grew up in a really small town and I don't know a whole lot of like queer and trans folks who are into biking. And so I think it was really amazing to see how many people were there. That was something that I didn't expect at the first one. And then I think at the second one, it was really I was amazed at how quickly it sold out, I guess, and how many people wanted to be there. And I think, I guess it was close to Portland, so maybe that kind of makes sense too. <laughs> but I think that was really cool to see. At the first one, I felt like I showed up and there weren't a lot of trans and non-binary folks there. And that felt, I felt like that was challenging for me because I think people perceive me as a man generally. And I felt like, am I supposed to be here? Am I not supposed to be here? So I think that was kind of weird. But then the second summit, I felt like there were a lot more trans and non-binary people there. But something that I think I struggled with is that like in my day-to-day -day life, I'm very used to people like perceiving me as a man and that like obviously grants me a lot of privilege and is also frustrating. But I think I felt that happening even from like trans people at the second summit. And that was I hadn't been around a lot of like queer and trans folks that I didn't know in that sort of setting in a long time. And I didn't expect to feel that way, I guess, that I think even in like my own community sort of that people were making a lot of assumptions I felt about how I identified um, or trying to group me, I guess, in this group of like trans men. And I was like, that's not how I identify. And so I think it was hard to have to like assert that even to people or I was like I thought these people wouldn't do that <laughs> yeah that was something that I kind of struggled with a little bit I think 
I think I just like felt really excited that there were so many people that wanted to be at this summit and all these other people that like wanted to be there and couldn't be there. And that it's kind of felt like everyone was just friends and that was really nice. And it, I think it gave me like a lot of energy to go back into my own day to day life where like that isn't the normal experience and, and feel like I want to create more of those spaces. And also I think it gave me like energy to deal with, the parts of like cycling or the cycling community that feel shitty because I was like I'm not the only person like I want to find more people I guess like me and yeah I think I just like felt very excited that so many people are out there that I and I didn't even know. <laughs> My name is Molly Sugar and I use she her pronouns and currently I'm in Portland Oregon. Finding my sense of community through bikes is really important. And I think that has fueled my desire to, to pass that on to other folks. By that time I was introduced to other folks for WTF, I had friends on bikes. So I was organizing locally in Portland. Um, so I had a sense of, you know, organizing and leading rides locally. Then we started talking about ideas for how do we expand community and make more impacts within the industry. Yeah, I think just, you know, working in the industry, organizing for Friends on Bikes, um, I saw a lot of challenges and patterns of lack of diversity, lack of inclusion for BIPOC and just FTW folks. I think that you know, WTF, we haven't done enough to prioritize BIPOC and Black people within our organization. I do want to um, give thanks to Grace, who Grace Anderson did pose the question to WTF of, you know, what, how are we uplifting Black voices right now? And it was a really appropriate and timely question for us to ask ourselves and it urged us to make changes. Since the last summit there have been just a lot of moments of clarity and I think that you know with the global slowing down of life with the pandemic has really opened up a lot of opportunity for reflection and really kind of thinking about where we are and how we want to move forward thoughtfully and I know that that's when we really started having a lot of conversations around how we wanted to be more thoughtful in our like core organizing group. And I know that there have been a lot of steps toward making that more representative of the community that we're, that we're a part of um, and really trying to, to center and include more BIPOC leadership and specifically Black and Indigenous folks um, within that organizing cohort. Yeah, so I think the the biggest change for us was reorganizing our structure and our core leadership. And, you know, when we started, it was six of us who all knew of each other or were directly friends. And that was just because we were, you know, we had, you know, similar thoughts and ideas and we wanted to get something started really quickly. But, you know, that wasn't, you know, including all voices. So, you know, three years later and growing from a summit to more programs, I think 
that was really important for us to, you know, bring in other folks and different perspectives because things have had changed so much. So yeah, we we added three new folks, uh, Zara Alabanza from Atlanta and uh, Renee Hutchins in Colorado and Christina Grande in, in Alaska. And they started in the beginning of November. And yeah, there, there are four folks from the six, original six that stepped down. Thank you for joining us for part one of the Within and Without podcast series. The music for this episode was by the band Your Heartbreaks and logo design was by Molly Sugar. This episode was brought to you by SimWorks connecting people from all around the world through a shared appreciation of cycling. Slow down, connect with nature, and savor the most meaningful moments with SimWorks. With an emphasis on heritage components with deep roots in Japan and thoughtful offerings from small batch makers and craftspeople, SimWorks has an eye for timeless style, offering quality products that will make you smile. With the help of the humble bicycle, we can inspire one another to live enriched lives and create deeper connections with each other and the worlds around us.